Hey there, you're listening to St. Tim's Anglican Bible Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information on our church and where to find us, please visit our website at stimitysabc.org. So have you ever had the experience of suddenly realizing that a loved one of yours is going to die and there's no hope for them to live outside of God's intervention. The realization of this is especially acute when that loved one has not lived out his or her full life. And I had that experience actually with two of my children when when they were younger. And you go into sort of a, a hyper alertness and self-conscious state of despair that if you're a practicing Christian uh, should, should lead you into a God-conscious state of intercession, a real closeness with God. Our son Jacob was, was born with critical coarctation of the aurora, and uh, the first six days after he was born, He was living because of an artery that was meant only uh, to supply blood uh, to him uh, while he's in the womb, and this artery shuts down after the baby is born. And and that was carrying the blood that his aortic arch should have been carrying, and as that artery shut down, uh, Jacob's heart couldn't function properly because the arch had not opened up, developed, uh, and the blood could not flow through it. So he was slowly dying there right, right in front of me, right there on my lap. His, his head and his little limbs were, were falling limp. And calling the hospital did nothing because they simply said, don't worry about it unless he goes uh, a full day without nursing, which he hadn't yet. But he was dying, and that was evident to me and dying quickly and having lots of experience with farm animals I recognized and uh, recognized that he was dying and told my wife if it was a calf of mine I would do every intervention possible right then and there because this is critical so we put him in the the car when we rushed him to the hospital an hour away and they immediately Uh, put him in an ambulance and sent him to St. Justin just in time to open him up and do the surgery on his heart that saved his life with us and and our church and our family praying throughout that time. And unfortunately, we had another incident with our our little daughter, Alia, 10 years later, who fell out of a chair hitting her head on the concrete floor. And we got her to the children's hospital, hospital, and I was thinking that that all that she had was a minor concussion and everything would be all right then and under control. But a few hours later when I spoke to the doctor, he told me that it was more than that. In fact, it was critical. Her skull had fractured and there was bleeding inside her brain that he couldn't stop. And if it didn't stop soon, she would die. Well, exiting the hospital, I lost all my physical strength and I collapsed in prayer on a park bench there uh, on René Levesque Street. And I sent an urgent message for Jesus to intervene. And of course, 
he did, and, and the bleeding stopped, and she lived too. But I'll never forget that sense of despair that I had in all else except Jesus. And I suppose that's what Mary and Martha were feeling in this gospel passage. But I ask what happens to our faith when Jesus doesn't come through as we thought he would and hoped he would. What happens to our faith then? Do we still follow him? Scripture says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And of course, we haven't come to that part in, in John yet, that story of Mary. Um, it happens in the very next chapter, but I preached on it actually recently from another gospel. But John is alerting his readers, who like us obviously already know something of the story, uh, who it is that way. So the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And I think most of you know that there are four Greek words in the New Testament for what we translate love in English, agape, philios, eros, and storgy. And C.S. Lewis, of course, wrote a very good book describing their differences called The Four Loves. And if you want to read more uh, about them, I recommend that book. But the Greek word translated love in that sentence, in that message that Mary and Martha sent uh, to Jesus about Lazarus is, is philios, the friendship love. That's what they used, even though John, in verse 5, goes on to show that Jesus' love for, for Lazarus and his family went deeper than that. In verse 5, John used the Greek word agape to describe Jesus' love for them. And that's a selfless, self-giving love from God, as, as deep as love goes. So the sisters sent this urgent message to Jesus, probably because they had suddenly realized their brother was actually dying. And there was no hope for him to live outside of Jesus. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. So Jesus had, had gotten this news about the illness of his beloved friend Lazarus from messengers who were sent by Mary and Martha, but he also had received news from God his Father that nobody else knew about, and that was that the illness would not end in death. We might object, of course, that it did lead to death, but it did not lead to permanent death, and that's what Jesus was talking about. Instead, it led to the glory of God and to Jesus, the Son of God, being glorified through it. Now, Jesus saying that the illness was for the glory of God might remind us of what he said to the blind man, about the blind man's condition back in chapter 9. We we did that, I guess, a month ago. And Jesus said there that it was so that the works of God should be revealed in him. 
And that's similar, but, that's, but the statement that he just said about Lazarus goes even further than that, that the works of God, uh, that this illness uh, would be specifically for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So, so any work of God does reveal God's glory, but this, this goes deeper. The Son of God uh, being glorified, um, that's specifically talking about Jesus. And, and this Son of God being glorified is an important theme of John's Gospel. It was introduced to us back in chapter 7, verse 39, and it will be developed from here on in, in the rest of John. And it relates to the honor and authority and affirmation given to Jesus by his Father in heaven and in the presence of men and the presence of others. And we'll get into that in later chapters deeper. But for now, verse 5 says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And there, there, there is where John uses the, the word agape in Greek. And John is simply showing in that that Jesus had a relationship with that family that was a very special one. You know, it seems from Matthew 21, 17 and Mark 11, 11 that their home may have been the home where Jesus stayed whenever he visited Jerusalem, for he lodged in Bethany. And it goes on. So when he heard that Lazarus Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And we say, what? He had a deep love and a special relationship to this family so that when he heard that his dear friend was ill, who Jesus could heal, He stayed there two more days. How bizarre that statement seems in its context. Jesus who heals strangers who do not have life-threatening diseases almost immediately when he meets them delays going to his beloved friend who he has a deep relationship with for two whole days. Why? Well, that's the question we're left to answer as we dive into the story. Why does Jesus not always act in the way that we think he should, especially to those he has a relationship with? Why doesn't he always act in a predictable manner, some, somewhat in the ways that he's acted before? Here he doesn't attend to the need immediately like he had in the past. Remember the official son that Jesus had healed from a distance? He doesn't do that here. He's unpredictable. And one of the main reasons for that is that he's not like us. Jesus is like us in many ways, but in many other ways, he's not like us at all. How is he not like us? Well, in this case, he does not act like we would. He's not guided by his emotions or by his perception of what others might think of him as we often are. 
and his actions are not even guided by the needs of those around him, even the needs of his close friends. So what are his actions guided by? Well, it's quite simple. His actions are guided by his Father in heaven alone. He said in John 5, 19 through 20, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. On the occasion that he spoke that, it was in the context of his healing the crippled man by the pool. And he went on there saying this, and greater works than these will he, the Father, show him so that you may marvel. And listen to this, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So Jesus, in John chapter 5, had already prophesied that he was, what he would soon do here in this chapter before it actually happened. And, and he made this awesome statement about himself. As the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Jesus was speaking again there of his divinity, and we saw that right through the Gospel of Mark. He was speaking of his divine authority to give life to whomever he wills. And that means your very life, physical and spiritual, is in Jesus' hands, at his disposal. What's that make you think about Jesus? How does that make you respect him? But back to our text today. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? A very pertinent question, I'd say. They are asking, is that really a good idea, Jesus? Even if your good friend needs healing, is it really worth risking your life and, and ours just now in this dangerous time? And suggesting, of course, that it was not. And Jesus' response is sort of strange. He answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What's he talking about? Well, without recalling what Jesus said in earlier chapters of John, we would probably have no idea. And I'm I'm quite sure that his disciples were, were having some trouble understanding it too because Jesus' communication even to his disciples is often uh, encrypted and, and is very difficult to understand and it requires 
and express desire to understand and the seeking to understand and asking. And only then is it supernaturally revealed. But if we're truly students of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit's help, we will recall Jesus saying in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we'll remember him saying to his disciples in John 9, 4 and 5, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So night and darkness means different things. There are allegories here. And it seems from that that Jesus is reassuring his disciples here that everything will be all right for them who are truly following him, for he is the light. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. That's Jesus himself. So none of his true followers, none of Jesus' true followers, have anything to fear as long as he is with them, as long as they were truly and honestly following him. But we have to remember that everyone was not truly following him here. Judas Iscariot, his betrayer, was still among them. And that too is the context that, that we will soon be looking at, the context that's taking place in John's Gospel too. And I think here, the encrypted words of Jesus are beginning to take aim at Jesus and those like him who walk at night, which represents walking dishonestly, and they stumble because the light of Christ is not in them, walking without Christ. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Naturally thinking. And Jesus, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. But then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Okay, they finally get it. And he continues on seemingly explaining to them why he had delayed uh, going to Lazarus, perhaps um, so his disciples would understand that he didn't just blow it by not going earlier. He explains, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So that's why Jesus wasn't there. It was for their sake so that they may believe. So Jesus' leaving Judea had less to do with the people that wanted to, to kill him, had less to do with preserving his life than it did this event and the building of his disciples' faith. So had Jesus stayed put where he was with his disciples in Judea and not left the vicinity, 
even after people tried to stone him to death, he would have been there and healed his friend Lazarus when he had fallen ill. And that would not have helped Jesus' disciples to believe any more than they had already believed in Jesus, that he was a prophet, that he was the Christ, that he was even the son of God, but in the same sense that King David was the son of God. If Jesus had been there and healed his friend before he had died, it, was, it would have simply been just another healing of Jesus as great as they were. But what would have happened next would have been, uh, what, but what would happen next, of course, would be much more special than that. It would inspire a deeper belief in him. It would inspire a belief in a deified Jesus, and that's what Jesus is getting at this whole time. He's not just the Christ, the anointed one as they understood him. He's also God. He's also divine. So Jesus said, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Lots of faith he had. But really, look at it from Thomas's perspective. Jesus, even as the anointed one of God, in his mind, might be beginning to falter in his judgment. If he's a mere man, that might be happening. It happened to Moses, right? Maybe he thought the stress was getting to Jesus. In Thomas's mind, they had been staying away from Jerusalem only because some people were out to kill Jesus. But now, because Jesus' good friend has died and his sisters have called on him to come, Jesus is going back. And, and maybe in Thomas's eyes, Jesus was being guided by his emotions. And his emotions were clouding his otherwise good judgment. And Thomas was probably thinking, it may have been worth the risk if Jesus had not delayed and, and Lazarus was still alive. But he did delay, and Lazarus is now dead. Shouldn't we just sit it out then? But Jesus says, no, let's, let's go to him. So Jesus seems to be putting himself and his followers at risk. And he seems to be asking, what he seems to be asking of them is to put themselves in harm's way for, for really no good reason. It makes no sense to Thomas and, and likely to the others as well. So what do they do? What would you do? When Jesus asks you to do things that are hard, things that don't make sense to you, do you stick with him anyway? Or do you abandon him? If you abandon him, then he's not your true master and you are not his true disciple. You can't just pick it up later on when the danger is gone. 
but he was their master. So his disciples did what he said, half expecting to die. It does kind of make you wonder what Judas was thinking, doesn't it? You know, all of us will encounter this, this Jesus who we don't understand somewhere along the line in our lifetime. That's our Jesus. Jesus who is unpredictable. Jesus that doesn't act like he always had in the past or who doesn't act always as we think he should. This Jesus allows us to suffer and even die sometimes. And he doesn't always tell us why either. He leaves us times, at times in confusion. He just tells us to trust him. And it's up to us how we respond to him. It's up to us if he is our Lord or not. And how we respond is very telling. If we are his true disciples or not. And at times, and for good reasons, when everyone else seems to abandon him, not understanding, Jesus will simply ask us, as he asked his disciples in John chapter 6, do you want to go away as well? And what will our answer be? Will our answer be like Simon Peter, who said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You can only say that if he's your only hope. And I pray that it is because those times will come to each and every one of us sometime in this life. And when those times come, I pray that you will be so close in your relationship to Jesus that you will trust him no matter what happens. Let's pray. Lord God, we do know that you say in your word that you will never leave us, never forsake us. You are with us always, even to the end of the age, Lord. And we know, Lord, um, that you will carry us through the deepest, darkest hours, even when we, we don't sense you, you are there, Lord, and we thank you that you have this relationship. Thank you that it is you who gives us faith as well, and your Holy Spirit, Lord, to get through these times. Lord, as we commit ourselves to you, we know we can't even be we can't even, even our best desires like Peter, like Peter's in the garden, um, are not good enough, Lord. We know we have to thoroughly, totally depend on you in, in these times, and we thank you, Lord, that we can look at your word. We can see examples of these tough times that you brought your beloved people through and, and know in these times that you love us, despite what 
what we are experiencing, Lord. And despite whatever the outcome is, Lord, we thank you for the grace that you have shown in our lives. And we thank you for the grace that you show to us even when you don't come through in the way that we want you to or think you should, Lord. Help us to stand firm in those times, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.